You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh. Proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. LFG-Oz.com.au Or you could visit their store in Canberra. It's in the ACT. For all your board gaming needs. And now, on with the show. And thank you again for joining us here. Good morrow to all you good people out there who are joining us for maybe the 354th time, Garth. That's a pretty amazing length of time to be listening to a couple of people discuss board games (laughs) and card games and anything that goes on around or through a table. It certainly is. But tonight, it's you, Garth, myself, Mark. We've dispatched Leon to the boundary because no doubt he's got chocolate to make. He's a very, very busy man and babies to feed. Well, they don't feed themselves. One of the many problems with babies. <laughs> That's right. But tonight we have got an action-packed episode where we're going to be talking about a couple of games we've played lately. One you may know of, one you may not know so much about. But, Garth, before we do, I want to take the opportunity to thank our amazing sponsor, LFG Australia. They have been fantastic in supporting us for such a long time. Big shout out to Charles and the team in LFG. You should check them out. But Garth, we are lucky enough to have not just that as our main sponsor, but our official dice sponsor, which is Behold Games. And I'm not sure if you knew this, but Tina from Behold Games, not only is she our amazing dice sponsor, but she also organises the Board Game Cruise Australia. Well, there you go. I will pretend that I've never heard of such a wonderful thing. Well, let me tell you about it, even if you have, because this year, they're not just going to, like, poke the nose out, go out, tool around for a few days and come back in. You mean not a cruise on the spirit of Tasmania? (laughs) No, but they are going to New Zealand. What choice? Aotearoa, bro. That's awesome. And uh, they're heading off from Sydney on the 28th of December on the Royal Princess. And Garth, they're not coming back. Wow. (laughs) Until the 10th of January. That's like 14 days, perhaps even 13 nights. And they are heading from Sydney, going Gazunda, the South Island, including the amazing Milford Sound. Beautiful. I think it's called Fjordland National Park, which sounds like it should be in Norway, but it's in New Zealand. Um, they're visiting Dunedin, Christchurch, Willington Brew, Taranga, Auckland, and the Bay of Islands, and then back to Sydney. All that, and you get to play board games. Celebrate the new year. That's right. So you're away from the 28th of December, back on the 10th of January, in and out of Sydney. Sounds pretty amazing to me. I'm not going to go into any further details, because if you want to know, you can go to boardgamecruise.com.au and get all the details. Or there's also a Facebook group. There is. They're very, very friendly bunch there. Yes. But look, I know the one last year was highly successful. A lot of people went, had fun times. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out for me with work to be able to go. But it sounds great. And actually, look, I don't know the exact prices, but the the, um, information they're giving on the website there, it's not that expensive. I mean, that's cruising in general, really, isn't it? It's well, it surprisingly is, considering, cheap. Considering that all your accommodation and your transport and your meals are 
included. Mm. Uh, it actually is really good value when you break it down to what you'd otherwise be spending, and especially for a lot of our listeners who are either in Sydney or it is a relatively good value proposition to get yourself to Sydney. That's right. There's no uh, there's no ocean jaunts for them just to get to Sydney like there is for us. <laughs> so anyway, if you are interested, please make sure to go and check it out because, yes, it has been really successful over previous years. Obviously, it was a little break when there was no cruising in yes. the world. Um, but it's back. It's bigger. It's better than ever. And Tina does a wonderful thing for the tabletop industry in yep. Australia, full stop. So, um, yeah, not only that, it is also really family friendly. So if you've got one family member who is into gaming and others aren't, you can all go as a family. Mm -hmm. The person who loves gaming goes and does their thing while everyone else is at the pool or at the kids club or the pool in the kids club or going out on shore excursions and all of those other bits and pieces. So it is a holiday for the ages. Absolutely. And look, if you're wondering, just not because of the name, but why we have an official DICE sponsor if you'd like to get some of the amazing custom dice that Tina does get for us, all you need to do is sign up to be a Patreon supporter of the Dice Bank Cometh. And not only will you get some really neat custom dice, you'll get bonus entries into all our competitions. You get access to the Patreon-only super-duper secret episode where for somewhere between, I don't know, like 90 minutes and two and a half hours we just generally ramble on about whatever's going on including board games yes people do tell us they're some of the most enjoyable episodes ever although do you think that means they're not enjoying the normal ones garth i'm not so sure no look when something's a 10 it can always go to (laughs) that's right um but yeah check us out patreon.com forward slash dice men cometh for all the details there very cheap great value get some of those amazing custom dice that we get from our official dice sponsor, Behold Games and Tina. Garth. Can we talk about games now? Yes, I think I've said enough. So let's take a very quick break, come back and talk about games. You're with The Dice Men Cometh. The Dice Men Cometh. Hi, this is Matthew Dunstan and you're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, the best podcast in Australian board gaming. Okay, you're back in the room with the Diceman Cometh, episode 354. That is a big number. You are here with Garth and myself, Mark. Now, Garth, mm-hmm. sometimes in Tasmania, it gets very cold. Yes, we're coming to that time of year, actually. And, you know, sometimes it does seem like winter can go on and on and on here in Tasmania. But I wouldn't quite describe it as an endless winter. Well, that's good, because otherwise we'd be talking about the Tasmanian climate and weather instead of this particular game, which is, as luck would have it, called Endless Linda. There you go. And before we get into the uh, the meat and potatoes or the... uh, The food and labour. The mammoth burgers and um, skins of the game, we must do a big shout out to Guff Studios, our very good friends, Carl... Stella and Mark from Melbourne. Now, we hooked up with them at PAX. We what? We met them at PAX. We had a very professional meeting. That's right. Yeah. And they had this game there and very excited. Carl was one of the interviews that I did, telling us about how they are the premier Australian distributor 
for this game that was a red hot runner on Kickstarter. Sure Huge success. When we saw it, we were like, oh, that looks awesome. The lovely Carl said, guys, I'll look after you. I'll get you a copy. And he did. I know. So thanks so much to Guff Studios for providing us with a copy of Endless Winter. Was it Paleo American. Diet? Paleo Americans. That's right. Yeah. Good thing you've done your research. Yeah. That's right. right. So you're going to describe this game to us? All no, way? Garth. No, I'm you're going to leave that to your expertise. All right. So Endless Winter dot dot Paleo Americans is not designed by George Michael, even though I think it should be, because then you could just go Endless Winter. <laughs> Oh, no. It is, in fact, designed by um, good designer and long-term designer, um, Stan Kordonsky, who has done Dice Hospital, has done Lockup, a role-player tale, Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria, um, and has a couple more designers mm. uh, designs coming out, but has, has done quite a bit, so he knows what he's doing. Art by possibly... One of the artists with the most unique styling. and Certainly. For, for those of us in this particular hemisphere, mm. um, which shares a hemisphere with Garfield Games. So we are talking about the Miko. Yeah, I would say just about... I mean, we all know one of our massively favourite artists is someone like Ian O'Toole. But often you'll go, that's totally stunning and gorgeous. That very well could be an Ian O'Toole design. With the Miho... You absolutely know his characters. His art is very much about characters, whether it's from, as you said, any of the Garfield Games trilogy, whether it's from even a little game like, uh, oh, it was the Game of Thrones, Hand, Hand of the King, yeah. where it's just a little card game. But the characters just have such an iconic look. If you've played any of the Garfield Games, you'll know those that look of that characters. And he certainly brings that in a paleo-American way, into Endless Winter. Well, that is spectacular. So what is an Endless Winter? It is a game that takes place in North America around 10,000 BCE. Mm -hmm. Players are going to be guiding the development of their tribes across several generations, from nomadic hunter-gatherers to prosperous societies. Now, over the course of the game, tribes can migrate and settle to new lands, establish cultural traditions, hunt megafauna, and build everlasting Megaliths. Megaliths. Now, this is a game that's going to play out over four rounds and plays up to four people. You can play it solo, Mark, if you continue to, to go down that solo path as you did with Viticulture World. No. Says it takes 60 to 120 minutes. We'll get to that. <laughs> so let me take you through the seven steps of setup that then have at least um, letters A through I followed by the remaining steps 8 through to 15. <laughs> um, and that's on page skip, 1. Skip those skip that. Papers, Oh, yeah. you don't want me to go through setup? No, no, no. no. Uh, all right. So, look, this is not a rules explanation. Um, otherwise, we would be here and all of us would be asleep listening mm. to my dulcet tones. Uh, needless to say, each of you are going to be playing as a faction, a tribe, a bunch of paleo-Americans just trying to make your way in a paleo-American mm. world. And it's cold. It's like the winter's just not ending. It's not. I just don't get it. Um, this game is where you will be doing lots and lots and lots and lots of different things. You and could almost describe it as like a paleo salad, maybe? Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing. Can you just have different types of meat and call it a salad? If you had a salad that was made of meats, I'm sure you could call it a meat salad. There we I mean, go. And then you, you might win friends with that type of salad. <laughs> So, Mark, let's let's try and go through potentially the mechanics that are yep. in this game. So, you have deck building. Yep. 
you have their uh, tableau building. Tick. You have area control. Mm-hmm. You have a race game. Sure do. You have set collection. Uh-huh. You, you have uh, work placement. Yes, sorry, Bob. Is there anything else in the world of gaming that is a mechanic that this doesn't have? Um, I mean, it's not a roll and write yet, but apart from that. The thing with the megaliths, is that, that sort of like pattern building yeah. or I don't know it's something different altogether but yeah it's got it's got a lot going on it sure has a lot and look I need to say obviously it looks amazing it looks really spectacular however if you've got a normal table good luck mm. especially when you're playing it close to the maximum mm-hmm. player count of four uh, I have a normal table <laughs> yes. and then I have a 1600 by 1100 tabletop, yep. which it just fit on. Just. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, but yes, this game is a table hog because you've got a central board. You've then got quite sizable individual player boards. You've then got a map board. Think of it like a Settlers of Catan style board mm. where you're making a whole bunch of hexes. You've got your megalith board. Then you've got the cards. Then you've got the meeples. Then you've got the other bits and pieces that you're going to need. And then you've got to find room for your drinks. You've got your multi-layer player board that has little holes yeah. to stick things into. So, mm. yes. It's like Stacey's mum. It really has it going on. So, be prepared. Mm. Uh, and this is the base game, let alone not including any of the thousand million expansions there is that it has. A few. Uh, the only caveat to that is that it does come with a couple of inbuilt modules mm. in the base game. And we'll, we'll have a little bit of a discussion about that. Okay. Later. So on the game, um, basically each of the four rounds is a generation. And this is why you're guiding your, your tribe. So you're going to have an action phase in um, basically in turn order. Players are going to take turns until everyone has had three of those turns. You're then going to have the eclipse phase, which basically adjusts turn order, does a few things. And this is where one of the modules actually comes in and spoiler alert is actually really good. <laughs> and then you've got the preparation phase, which is basically where you go and do it again. And then you'll do it again, you'll do it again, you'll do it four times, and there we go. So, Garth, what you're saying is you're basically only having 12 turns in this game, pretty much? Well, kind of, yes. Okay. But. So, it like it plays in like 30 minutes, is that what you're saying? Well, that's why it says 60 to 120 <laughs> right. minutes. Right. Of course it what does. it doesn't say is per player. Yes. <laughs> uh, but anyway, again, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a Dice Man Cometh episode if we didn't say we played this game long. Yep. Oh boy, we did. <laughs> took hours. And also in saying that, you look at BGG, you look at recommendations, and every single person says this game plays long. Mm. Maximum player count. Because it just does when you've already listened to the number of things that make up the game, it's not surprising because it is a, a, a point meat salad because everything you do is going to get you points. And that is great because you will never have a turn where you go, I can't do anything. I can't progress my civilization. I can't improve a thing. The challenge is obviously which of the 10 million billion things yep. do I want to improve and why, and which one's going to lead to the best result mm-hmm. at the end. So anyway, on the action phase, which is, I guess, you know, the major part of this game. That's the meat in terms of the meat and other meat. It is the game. meat yeah. in the meat salad, salad sandwich. Um, you're going to start by playing culture cards. Culture cards have a, a symbol that basically looks like, a, I guess, a bit of a 
stylized skin or pelt. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you can play as many of those as you have in your in your available hand. However, once you've played the first one, any additional ones are going to cost you another card. Yeah. Part of the hand management is obviously the push and pull of, do I want to play this culture card, do a thing? Or do I want to use the card for something else? Because the cards are multi-purpose. Mm. So culture cards will just basically get you stuff. And essentially the rule or the, the main gist of this game is that it's a turning stuff into other stuff. You've only really got a couple of resources. The two primary ones that you're going to be keeping track of are generic food and labor, mm. as in the workforce, as in your tribe are going to do things. And all the different cards will have a different degree of value in terms of food value that you get, yep. or more importantly, labor value, mm. because you're going to be spending labor in order to do certain actions. Do you know they're touring later this year? Actions? Culture card. Oh, really? That's great. <laughs> not with George Michael, though? Uh, no, boy, not boy George not Michael. Not boy George Michael? <laughs> no, that's Culture Club, actually. It is. Yes, yes, they are. So you play your culture cards, and they essentially allow you to do a thing. Spend some food to get some stuff. Spend some labor, do a thing. Get rid of a card, do a thing. Uh, you know, quite simple. Yeah. Turn something into something else. Almost setting you up, if you like, for then the next part of the action. Yeah, and this is where you then go into um, basically playing your figures, your meeples, and every tribe has a lead chief meeple, which is a beautiful 3D sculpt, mm. big and impressive, yeah. and, a, and a 3D version of the art, which is awesome. You get one of those little plastic bases, so it's in your player color. Um, but you also get to standard um, meeples that go along with this, and you can choose to play your chief or one of your standard meeples um, on any of the four available action columns. And Garth, why would you play your chief instead of a meeple when he's like really impressive and stuff? Well, let's just say that if you play your chief on a particular column, you'll get an extra bonus. Oh, right. So there are four main columns that you're going to be doing your actions on. The first one is the initiate, which is where you're going to gain tribe cards, or you can bury cards, which in all deck builders, mm. you want to be able to bury them, get them out of the game, and you will potentially be gaining points for the number of buried cards that you have because there are sacred stones, which are basically multipliers and end-of-game pointy things that you will possibly accrue during the course of the game. So this is where you're developing your, your deck building, you're adding more cards, and as you said, you're also getting the ability to trash cards. Correct. Because you start with a hand of cards, and much like many cards that have deck building... Your starting cards are pretty crap, absolutely. But thematically, you're adding people to your tribe, Mm. so it's all about the theme. Yeah. So um, essentially, you can there's there's three stages in each of these columns. You've got the top, the middle, and then the bottom section. Um, Basically, you can choose to do some or all of those depending on your meeple, depending on the the chief. Um, The first one's going to be that initiate. The second one is develop, where you'll gain culture cards. Mm, Um, You'll also gain sacred stones, which are those end-of-game multipliers Mm. that we'll we'll sort of touch on further down the track. Um, You've then also got the migrate action, which is where you're going to be interacting with the hex-based map board. And that's primarily where you're going to be placing camps. Um, And the goal really is to end up with three camps in a triangle shape on three different hexes. Once you do that, you're able to then essentially cash build a in city? those for a village. Not build a city, but oh, a no. village. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're paleo-American times, Mark. Paleo-Catan. Correct. <laughs> yes. um, so you'll you'll want to be able to do that. Um, basically, if you have um, camps, they'll sort of be like a passive income. Yes. You then get uh, the hunt action, which is the last one, which is where you're going to be able to spend labor on hunting animals because Mm. there's always going to be 
possibly an available supply of animals and you must eat you do you must have have meat in your meat salad that's right otherwise it's just a salad and you definitely don't have friends with that so they are the the main actions that you're going to be doing and essentially you're going to be going around around the table each of you um taking one action going around doing your second one doing your third one there Mm. as well um and that's where after everyone has done those three you then move into the eclipse phase sounds like it should be a good game eclipse phase yeah um (laughs) and then essentially four turns later you go into your your final points yeah so um the the thing about these actions is they all get you stuff they all allow you to uh bury cards use cards in multiple ways there are there are going to be actions that cost multiple cards there's going to be actions that cost a single card Mm. you know for example you've got hunter cards which obviously are really good when you're going out to, to get animals. You've got laborer cards and you've got chieftains or shamans, shamans, all of these other cards that are going to have particular abilities. And then you've got the abilities on the cards that you can trigger as well. So so this is where this multiple use of, of cards is really important. Do I want to spend them just for the labor? Do I want to save them for the eclipse? Mm. Haven't got to, but we're about to. Um, or do I want to use them in, in another way, shape or form? Or do I just want to bury them? Because that's how I'm going to get some points. There are four different generic cards um sorry four different piles of generic cards that you yes. can get when you're getting your um getting your tribe cards but there are also some other ones that will be able to to assist you as you go throughout the game and this is where you know the decision is do i get culture mm-hmm. cards or do i get tribe cards is one that you'll be making throughout the game and it's a challenge because as you described there are four different actions you can take each round but garth i seem to remember you saying you only get to take three turns each round. <laughs> so you can't do one of each. So is it going to be culture? Is it going to be building up your deck early? Is it going to be going crazy on the food? There is this this bottom section, which has an action, mm. which is only available to the first person who, who goes there. So if I've gone there, that action is now not available yeah. for the rest of the, the whole round for anyone. So if I've got my first turn of the first of the three that I'm going to have this round, do I want to take an action that yeah. hasn't been taken just because I'm the first person to go mm-hmm. there. Because that's typically something that he's, he's going to be throwing uh, in your face is, do I want to do something that, uh, well, yeah, doing it is fine, but I get this bonus versus what I really want to do is is do this other column because it's going to tie in more with the, the style I'm trying to get um, or the bonuses that I get with my chief or whatever the case. I was going to say that that's the other, an, another decision is when you have your chief, obviously they give you a bonus on one of those four actions. Mm. So you always want to be doing that action. But then if my chief, for example, gives me a bonus when I'm hunting, well, maybe I don't want to hunt every round because I've got a heap of meat and now I need to do the other thing. But then if I don't do the hunting with my chief, then I'm going to lose the bonus that the hunting gives. And yeah, decisions. It's, as Leon would say, it's like some kind of game. That's right. And these decisions are what make the game go long. So anyway, you're going to do those actions. Everyone's going to go around and do three, whatever you choose to do. And again, watch a video, read the rule book if you want to know all of those in uh, in depth. But then you go to the Eclipse part of this game. And this is where any cards that you have not used uh, that are still in your hand that have a little Eclipse symbol at the bottom, which is essentially, you know, looks like the moon and a sliver of the sun behind it kind of like an eclipse does. Mm. You can then play those cards to get those benefits in that eclipse phase. So that might be, again, getting some stuff, being able to transfer food or labor into another thing. Um, and it allows also for um, passive benefits to, to come in as well, depending on 
certain factors as well. So um, it allows you to also readjust the turn order based on certain factors. So so that is quite useful. What I would suggest though mm-hmm. is that um, there is also in this action phase a really good module that is an optional one, but I would definitely include it, which is the rest. And this is just adding another action, which is my action is to do nothing. I'm not skipping my whole turn for the round. Yes. I'm skipping this particular action, which allows you to take a a face-up rest token, um, get the benefit of it, and move on. Because sometimes there is also benefit to just delaying. Yes. Oh, I'm going to just see what old Paleo Mark does because I need to sort of be aware that he's going to want to go for the map and make another village or whatever the case may be. So these decisions can take up time. Because there is never a clear, that is the best option, definitely, that's going to get me the most points. Yes. And Garth, did we talk about, or in fact, are we going to talk about labour and how, you know, you can spend variable amounts of labour on these actions? Because to me, that was a challenge. Like, do I want to spend more? You know, you've got to make sure you've got enough labour to make sure that you can take full advantage of the action. But then, you know... If you've got enough labor, you can do the action multiple times, but then you want to do the first part of the action and the second part of the action. Well, look, for example, uh, to go and get a tribe card, Mm. you're going to have to spend a tool and you're going to spend one labor. That could be all on one card or it could be on multiple cards or it could be your resources. Relatively good value. Spend a card or not even spend. Use a card to gain another card. However, culture cards which are these ones that you're going to be sort of using before the action yeah, phase. Yeah, give you special give you benefits. benefits. Yeah. They're three labor. Mm. Now that's going to use up more than likely two to three cards yeah. because cards might have half a labor, one labor, one and a half, some, some random amount of labor. Yeah. So using a lot of cards to get a culture card can be very, very expensive. Going and migrating, it's going to cost you a labor to move a camp. Yes. Not to, not to build one because that costs tools, um, but I need to move them around the board in order to get to a hex mm. to then be able to spend three food as well as having the three camps to be able to turn that into a village. And because the the map itself, the the hexagon, hexagon, hexagonal map, um, is quite tight. Like it's not like it's massive, and so you are competing with other camps to get those three adjacent camps to be able to do a settlement, and also. Because there are bonuses that you get during the eclipse phase for depending on who who controls each who has the area control bonus basically for different areas. It's, so the map section itself is quite tight, and there's a lot going on there. Yeah, well, so you really the, want to save your labour up to do that thing. That's right. So you've got the one central hex, which is where you start, mm. and they all start, and then you've got two rings of other hexes. So it is relatively small. Mm. Um, it's just a random selection. You've got to have a certain predetermined number of each of the, the different terrain types in Paleo-American. Mm, so let's look about meg- uh, talk about Megaliths. Megaliths. Megaliths are this other part of the game, which is essentially where you turn tools and labor into, I guess, a, it's almost like an Azul um, tile. That's what it looks like. Yes. And you place it on the Megalith board. The Megalith board can be set up in random different ways. It has a whole bunch of suggestions in the, the rule book for how you do that. And that's, you know, every time you place 
one of the megalith tiles it's going to give you a thing it might give you an instant benefit of food or tools or cards or blah 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 blah. but then you're going to get essentially limitations around i have to place it uh, adjacent to one of those existing yes. ones or i can only place it on the next level up if there are four um, megaliths already on the ground level and again at the end of the game you're going to get more points depending on how many you've placed yeah and how, how high they are. Mm. And then there's also, again, going to be Sacred Stones, which are these end-of-game <laughs> yes. scoring that might multiply that as well. So Megaliths are just another aspect to it, and it's it's one of the actions that you can you can do. So you've then got the idle board. So uh, an idle board is this race, and essentially you're racing up one of two tracks. You've got either the offering track or the honor track. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a race to the top for for points. Um, sometimes when you cross certain thresholds, you might get a thing, and that's mm. really cool. But basically, it's going to be multipliers at the end of the game for how much things are worth, such as if I've got all the way up this particular track, every buried card I've got is worth this many victory points. If I've only started at the bottom, it's only going to be worth X amount of yes. victory points. Same thing goes, I think, for oh, maybe villages or cities, something else I can't remember. Yeah, there's other bonus points for the end of the game. That's right. But as you said, it's basically it's two tracks, and again, you've got that decision of well, which one of these tracks do I want to go up? One of them, as you said, is one of them also determines the start player or the, the player order. Mm. So once again, you've got more decisions to make. Correct. Then you could go hunting, um, as I've said, as one of those actions. There's there's typically going to be. I think it's number of players plus one mm-hmm. um, sort of starting animals there. There's a whole bunch of different megafauna, but you're going to be using them primarily in one of two ways. One is as a set collection. If I have this many sets of something or others, um, they're worth um, multiple numbers of points. Mm-hmm. Think of the, the, I guess, the dumplings in Sushi Go. Yes. Um, or you can, not surprisingly, eat them for meat. Mm. And that may be very, very important because you need to have meat. So yeah, there are, um, you know, there's your, your mammoths and your sloths and other other things and a couple of them. <laughs> Saber-toothed tigers. Yeah, all, all those, I don't know, paleo, paleo chickens. Paleo. <laughs> yes. uh, and, and then you've got, you know, a wild animal as well. Wild being... Like know, a paleo sort of, unicorn where correct. you can use it as one of any of the sets. Yep. Um, and that's just another thing. You know, if you want to keep them and you don't have to kill them for food, they are going to be worth points at the end of the game. But sometimes you just need to eat mm. them food. And that's sort of mainly it. Yep. Uh, you add up a whole bunch of different scoring, a whole bunch of different multipliers. Sacred stones are going to offer you at the you know, various time when you get them um, a bit of a path of what kind of scoring you want to go for and, and what you want to achieve. There's a whole bunch of different ones. The iconography is actually really clear. And yeah. The book is really good in that regard, which is great. But there's a lot going on. Mm. Your first game will go long. Yep. Uh, yes, we can add to the mountain of comments that says probably don't play it at maximum player count at the start, which is what we did. <laughs> that's because we like hanging out with people. That's right. And that's Endless Winter. Well, look, Gar. Oh, sorry. Endless Winter. I just want to jump in and say there are so many things to love about this game. Yes. The art, the minis, the endless amount of decisions to make. The all the different things you can do. I mean, I love the megaliths. That was a very neat little thing. And, you know, the fact that you can set out the cards that go underneath, all it does is just change the order of the bonuses you get. Correct. But there's a lot to like here. There's a lot going on, but there's a lot to like. And I can see why people have been rushing to this game 
because, as we said, it's super attractive. There's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot of people talking about it being, you know, one of the better medium to heavy euros that's out this year. That's for sure. Well, look, it's already ranked 275 mm. um, games of all year, 160th best strategy game wow. of, of all time, and it only came out in 2022. So mm-hmm. that's that's pretty good. Um, it's certainly on you know various Facebook forums. It's always being talked about. Yeah, um, whether that be in oh, I found a copy, I'm really excited. I couldn't find a copy because I didn't back it. Or, um, I've just played it again and it's... Blah, 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 yep. blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, people like the Dice Tower, um, they really like it. Yes. Um, in varying degrees because, um, you know, they've got people who specialise in, uh, I guess, solo games as well as just your, your standard competitive ones. Um, and it looks amazing. Like, this game ticks yeah. so many boxes. Yeah. But, oh boy, can something maybe tick too many boxes? Can something maybe have an option that says, I like card play. So I'm going to put in hand management and deck building and multi-use cards. And, oh, but I also like area control. So let's throw a world map in there. Let's do the megaliths in there as well. And, oh, but I like set collection as well. So let's put some animals in there. And I'll, look, can't have uh, a game about Paleo-Americans without worker placement because what are you going to place your tribes people on? So let's have area um, worker placement in there as well. Oh boy, this game... Having only played it a couple of times, mm. I feel like the game could be almost as good if you just selectively removed one or two things. Is that because that Garth, you potentially selectively chose the wrong path where maybe you thought you were going to win and then someone else maybe come up right at the end because of the bonus sacred stone they had and got a whole bunch of points in one? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, maybe, perhaps. Maybe. I I would argue that potentially megaliths mm. and sacred stones mm. could potentially be combined. Yeah. Because sacred megaliths, perhaps. Exactly right. Mm. Uh, the map is cool. Yeah. It is really good, and that gives you a good little tactile and, and area control element as you're racing out there to try and get the the map um, sort of dominance in terms of taking my, my little camps and turning them into a village. That's really cool. Um, I think the idle board, is it interesting? Yeah. Not really. Like you, you're going up there, but you kind of have to mm. so that you are maximizing the points for the other things that you, you, you kind of get these as, as multipliers, particularly when it comes to something like buried cards. Is it fun to go up those tracks? Not particularly. Could be. Well, it could be. If you like going up tracks, maybe? Well, I mean... Screaming, screaming stone eagles? Well, going up a track is exciting. Mm. You know, going up the, the research track in um, Arnak, for example, yes. is it, it can be exciting. Yeah. Playing Beyond the Sun, which is all just going up a track, yeah. is really, really good. But in a game, does it feel thematically appropriate that I'm spending a, an action going up a track? Probably not to me. I think for me, like, I did really enjoy it. And I think for me, potentially what's missing is maybe... Oh, negotiation. Surely, negotiation. Another mechanic? (laughs) No, no. So you talked about, you know, it's got a couple of modules. It almost feels like what you could do is you could actually, instead of adding more, you could strip it down where, you know, maybe the... um, It's not called the honor track. What's it called? 
the Screaming Eagle track. Well, there's two things. You've got the um, the honor side of it. Oh and yes, you've that's also right. got that whole thing. Yes, well, there's two tracks on the honor track. You it's can strip that whole thing out. Yes, or you can strip out the megaliths, or you can strip out the set collection potentially. So you've got maybe like a pared down version that is your introductory game. An ended winter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a slightly shorter winter. <laughs> um, and have that being an introductory game, get the feel of the game, and then maybe grow it from there. Whereas my fear is that with there are a lot of expansions out there. Now, a lot of them are just little special cards or whatever. But well, yeah, because the modules that you get in it, like without a word of a lie, the rest token modules mm. is basically half a dozen little chits. Yeah. Like, that's it. So it's, it's really not that bad. We also did play... With the glacier tokens. Oh, yes. Which essentially they go onto the world map on the glacier side of things. Oh, and that's where you right. don't know what mm, your benefit's mm, going to be until mm, you've explored the glacier, you flip it over, and then you yeah. know, okay, I'm going to get this. So again, that was fine because yes. it, it added some incentive to go to these glacial yeah. um, hexes, which is cool. So again, that side of things I really like. Look, I think there's, as I said, I think there's a temptation for us to go, oh, we're gamers. We know stuff. Let's not play the baby version. Let's just chuck everything in there. And then four hours later, you're going to be going, oh, my God, when's it going to finish? Yep. Um, I think that's a danger. And I think potentially, you know, if there's a new edition or something, if they could maybe pare it down a bit and then it can grow from there as you, un- you learn the bits that you like, the bits maybe you don't like. Because there's so much going on, but there's a lot there for everyone to love. There is. I mean, look, it's... it's... <sighs> is it a game where Mark and I have pretty much the same opinion? Quite possibly. Mm. Um, you know, his opinion is probably higher because he won. Ah, <laughs> right? yes. Um, it, it, it just yeah. looks so great. Yeah. And it is a really interesting theme and a theme that, you know, it's been a popular theme. There's been Paleo and obviously, um, you know, Phil Eklund with Greenland and all mm. of those other ones behind and all that kind of thing. But anyway, the, I guess I look at it and I go, the time it takes to play, there are so many other games that potentially are mechanically more interesting as opposed to it's got that mechanic and it's got that mechanic and that one and that one and that one. Yep. None of which are complicated in their in their little separate compartmentalization. The interaction between them, it's not a huge amount of interaction between the actions, I dare say. Like, you know, one thing doesn't necessarily boost the others yes. collectively. Some do, absolutely, but not all of them. It's... I guess I think would I if I had four hours again three or four hours would I would I choose this as the option no yeah but it looks really pretty yes it does and look it's definitely just like those slippery glaciers it's worth exploring but wear your spiky shoes and be careful where you tread on that note I think we're gonna take a short break Garth and we'll come back with more you're listening to the Dice Man Cometh. Hey, I'm Keith D. Franks III, and you're listening to my favorite show, The Dice Man Cometh. The Dice Man Cometh! There we go. We are back. I'm assuming that song that we just played wasn't Endless Winter by George Michael. I don't think so. No. So, look, thank you very much for sticking with us. Mark, it's time for you to tell us about your childhood and hanging out in your backyard with all your mates. That's right. I had a lot of friends, Garth. You might be surprised to know. But we used to play 
in our fort. Oh, really? Yeah, it was the best place for kids to hang out. And look, if only someone would make a game about kids hanging out in their fort, maybe playing with cats and dogs, having so much fun, it'd be great. Not a mobile phone in sight. No, no. And Garth, the good people at Leader Games, in 2020, they put out another game with four letters in the title, just like Oath, just like Root. But this one... Surprisingly, it's called Fort. Oh, that's going to um, be here. But not designed by... Colwurl. Um, This is designed by Grant Rodiek, but of course, art by Kyle Ferron, the same artist from Root and from Oath. His art just looks amazing. And this, you know, we've been talking about lots of mechanics. Well, this is a deck builder, but it's a deck builder with a difference because it has the follow mechanic. Do you even like deck builders, Mark? I don't even, I love a deck builder. I am a big fan of deck builders. This one, uh, it, it was pretty hot when it hit the scene. Maybe it's dropped away a little bit now. It's ranked 640 on Board Game Geek. Now, the funny thing is some people, Garth, not me, but some people describe it as more like a tableau builder than a deck builder because of the different way it works. I don't necessarily agree, but let's hear it out. It was nominated, this game, for the Golden Geek Medium Game of the Year, the Best Card Game, and the Best Card Game Artwork and Presentation in 2020, and also the American Tabletop Strategy Games in 2021. Didn't win any of those games, but hey, it tried. (laughs) So what you have in this game is you have cards that have six suits, not spades, hearts, and etc. etc. You have skateboards, squirt guns, crowns, glue, books, and shovels. Are you sure there's a squirt gun suit? <laughs> I yeah. don't recall seeing that. I saw maybe one squirt there's gun card. Definitely a couple of them. And then you've also got coins, and they're wild. Now, unlike most deck builders, where at the end of your turn, you discard all your cards and basically draw back up again, you only discard those cards in this that you've played, and then any of your special friends... Best mates. ...that you have in your hand, which are basically the cards that you start the game with, they have a little star in them. Those cards, they get discarded into your discard pile, but every other card in your hand, they go to your yard, and your yard is an area at the front of your player board. Now, the interesting thing about your yard, Garth, is, you know, obviously you have to keep it clean, mow the lawn, all that sort of stuff. It's a good thing there's no milkshake suit. No. <laughs> because then your milkshake would take all the boys to the yard. <laughs> That's right. Oh, dear. Um, but interestingly, when you... Oh, actually, let me take a step back. So, oh, good. Um, I'll describe a turn. You start off... You throw away the cards from your yard. No, you don't throw them away. You, t- you discard you, the cards from the yard. You then get to discard the card from the yard. <laughs> into your discard pile. So you do eventually get them from the yard back into your discard pile. But they might not all be there. After you do that, you get to play one card. And these cards have two actions, a top action and a bottom action. Or private and public. That's right. (laughs) The top action is a public action and the bottom action is a private action. Private action reporting for duty. That's right. You get some private action with your bottom. Where's general disturbance? That's right. It's major major chaos here right now. (laughs) Let's keep corporal punishment right out of it. Because you can choose which of those two actions you do first. The public action is the one that people get to follow. The private action, they don't get to do anything with. But you get to power both of those actions with 
playing extra cards of the same suit. So if I play, for example, a glue card that gives me one pizza, because all kids like pizza, per glue, if I add two more glue cards, then I get to take three pizzas. Well, makes sense. More pizza has stuck to your hands. Mm, that's right. So you can power up your action. The people that follow, however, they can't power up their action. Well, no, people that follow can only play a card, mm. which has the same suit on mm. it, or a coin. However, yes. some cards do have multiple symbols. <gasps> yes. So if you do happen to have a card with double the glue <laughs> on one card, you can play that. Well spotted. So that's playing the card. The next thing you can do is you recruit. So much like many deck builders, you get to add a card to your discard pile, which you then will later draw. But here's the, here's the rub, here's the difference, is you can recruit from some face-out cards that are, what's that called? Is that the called park. the park? Yeah, in the park. Right. So the kids playing in the park, you get to add them to your group of friends. If you don't like the kids in the park, you could actually draw blind off the park deck. But you also get to recruit from other people's yards, as well as your own yard. So there is quite a wide variety of cards that you get to choose from to recruit. And of course, if I have recruited last turn a really great card, maybe a double suit, maybe a really powerful action, but then for some reason I don't play it, and then at the end of my turn, it goes out into my yard. Then before I've even got to play it, someone else goes, hmm, I like the look of Biff there. He's got a powerful action. I might bring him over to my place. And this is really cool. This mechanic mm -hmm. I really, really like mm. in Fort because your, your decision-making is on my turn, what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, is a good action for me that I can potentially power, but the risk is... There's a really good card that I've just picked up that I'm not going to get to use and, and maybe not again. But then also when I'm now recruiting, I don't just care about the three available cards in the park or drawing blindly, but I'm looking at potentially five, ten, mm. a billion cards that have been played or not played by other people. So I go, oh, well, I know I've got something in my, my hand that's going to work with that one over there. It's got the same suit or it's got double symbols or it's got an action I really need yes. to do. I'm going to take that. It's so cool. That's right. And so you have to be really careful what cards you let go to your yard because they might not come back. Yes. But, you know, that interesting decision of do I get an hour, an action that I can really power up by using multiple cards, but then this might not give me this one squirt gun action where I, because of what I drew, I don't have anything to power it up with, but it's a really good action. And if I play it, it's guaranteed to go into my discard pile, so I'm going to get it back again. That's right. If I don't play it and it goes in my yard and someone else takes it, I may never get to play it. Yeah, so there is a lot of benefit, I find, to basically strengthening your hand with a lot of cards in the mm. same suit because then you're going to be able to power them up. If those cards have good actions that you use, you don't necessarily use the card for the action. You're just using it for the suit. Yes. Tucked behind your lead card, which means it's going to go into your deck and then you can use the action on it. Yes. Turn. The risk is with that, though, is it's going to minimise the chances of you being able to follow. Exactly. And then again, is that little push and pull because if I've top-loaded my deck with skateboard cards and Mark's just playing glue after glue after glue, I'm not going to be able to mm. follow, which is then... Far out, I'm yeah. losing out a whole bunch yeah, of Yeah, you're basically action. missing out on free stuff. So that's how a turn works. You'll you'll recruit, you'll then discard to your yard, or as you said, your best friends and the cards you played will go into your discard pile. Then you draw back up to five cards. Now, let me tell you a bit more about your fort 
Garth, which is your player board, because you're pl- you have a multi-level playing board. I guess it has two levels where you've got slots. So you've got your stuff. You've got two types of stuff. You've got your pizza and you've got your toys. You do. And you've got, is it four slots for each of those? So you can only get a maximum of four pizza and four toys. Which is basically your resources. Yeah. But then you've got your backpack. And if you're really lucky, at some stage, a card will let you transfer stuff from your stuff area to your backpack, which then, of course, lets you have more resources that you can use for doing things like increasing the level of your fort. Because not only does it give you victory points, but it gives you access to special actions like when you go from level one uh, from level zero to level one you get a made-up rule because all <laughs> kids like to make up rules and it's basically you you draw from this pile of cards and it's basically an no, end of game that's right from the available you card. get the whole deck and you get to pick one which mm, it's a little bit of a decision to make but basically you get a rule that just applies to you for scoring at the end of the game. Yeah. When you go from level one to level two, you get to take a perk card, and the perk cards are all face up. And again, it gives you some sort of special rule that only applies to you. Sometimes they're triggered. Sometimes they happen on every turn. They're they're quite different. And yeah. it's, it they could is, be passive. They could be mm, one-offs. There's, there's a whole bunch of variety. Yeah, there. and then if you can get to level five fort, you get the grandest prize of all, which is the macaroni statue. <laughs> now, what does the macaroni statue do? It looks absolutely stunning, but more importantly, it gives you five victory points at the end of the game, and it triggers the end of the game. So then, basically, you finish the round. Uh, do you get one more round, or is that... Yeah, I think you do. I think you finish the game and you get one more round, perhaps. But yeah, that, that's, that's the end game trigger, is the first person to get their fort to level five. The other great thing about your fort going up in levels, um, and did I mention you're spending stuff basically to put your level up and more stuff for each level. Having a higher fort level means, A, you get to put more stuff in your backpack because your backpack limit is your fort level plus one. Unless you've got a perk that is an extra large mm, that's backpack. right. But also, you have a spot on your playboard called your lookout. That's right. And you are able to, if you get the card that has the lookout action, which I didn't see throughout the entire game. But anyway, <laughs> that's another matter. If um, It's like a notch. And you can slot one card behind there. And you don't see any of that card once it's slotted in there, except for the suit symbol. But what that suit does is it adds one of that suit to any action you play. So if you play your glue card and you play another two glue cards to boost it up and you haven't never glue card and you look out, then all of a sudden you've got four glues and you're getting four times the action. Yeah. In theory, it's really cool. <laughs> squirt guns, maybe. Squirt so guns, much. useless. I put a card with two squirt gun, squirt gun icons in maybe my first or second Yeah. Card. And not once for the remainder of the game did any of you mm-hmm, <laughs> play an action that was led with a squirt gun? And look, part of that was, hey, Gar's got double squirt guns. Don't play any squirt guns. But part of that was just because of the way we went through the deck. Yeah, yeah, clearly yeah, Trent... We don't have time to go into Clearly this. Trent shuffled the squirt guns at the bottom of the deck. Okay, so that's the base game. Yes, you play, victory a, play around, around and it's it's all very straightforward. You get victory points from your fort level. You get victory points from your made-up rule. Um, and and sort of that's, that's about it. Yeah. You, know, you get some something and, and away you go. Easy. Well, if you want to make it even better, 
What's better than kids playing in forts? Kids playing in forts while there's dogs and cats wandering around the place. So the Dogs and Cats expansion came out in 2021. The Dogs and Cats expansion adds two modules, Garth. Can you guess what they are? Um, Elephants (laughs) and industrial relations. No. (laughs) Dogs, surprisingly, (laughs) and cats. You can use one or both. Now, of course, dogs are loyal. If you play one, it's usually going to hang around with you. And in fact, most times it'll go to your dog house. Which looks exactly like Snoopy's dog. That's right. But dogs are fussy. So you can only play a dog if you can meet its particular needs, which in most cases are you satisfy a trigger that's to do with some other cards you've got to play when you play the dog. And the dogs, you play them in the play phase, but they don't have a follow action. So it's great because it stops other people from having a turn. (laughs) And then at the end of the game, the person who has the most dogs, they get seven victory points. That's a lot of victory points. It is a lot lot of victory points. Now, cats, Garth, let me tell you about cats. You and I are both dog people. Let me tell you a bit about cats. Yeah. Cats are fickle. Yes. The actions happen at specific times, which sometimes you can't control. They tend to move around a lot and they get attracted to a different player if their yard has a certain mix of specific suits or who knows. I mean, cats have a mind of their own, but the more cats you have at the end of the game, the more you score. And it's like that Fibonacci thing where, or the dumplings, dumplings. where, you know, one, two, three cats gets you one, three, six, or ten points so in the expansion you get 18 dogs you get eight cats and you get four dog house boards now each player only gets five dog uh sorry they get five kid cards and three dog cards so a heap of the dog cards don't even get it in the game so there's a good bit of variety there Rock and roll. cats let me tell you about cats please do you get eight cats you only use four in the game so again you get a bit of variety the dog cards go in your hand, and as we said, they get played like normal cards. They've got suits. Whereas the cats, they just sit on the board and do their own thing. If they get triggered, they get triggered. If they don't, they're just rubbing up against your leg. And look, they're cool. These mechanics, uh, sorry, these these modules are cool. I would choose to sometimes play with them. Mm. Um, sometimes not. I mean, I, I thought the dogs, they did make a big difference to the end result. Yes. Uh, it is a game that... I don't know. It's tight. Three, 354 episodes. Trent finally won again. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he won. He, I, I reckon he won. He won because of, because of the, the dogs. dogs. He did. So, so that's good. Um, cats offer you some, I guess, ability while you are the cat owner, but the cats are flipping around. Yeah. So, yeah. And Look, you, it's really cool. It's, it, it's a nice little game. Again, it's just competing with so much yeah. in the time frame because it, it probably plays long for a deck builder when I consider... Race for the Galaxy, mm. um, the new Star Wars deck building mm. game, and a plethora of mm. other deck building games. Does it offer anything that's really, really, really different? The theme's cool. The follow mechanic is cool, although there are quite a lot of games that have that follow mechanic. Yeah. Cool. It's it's a challenge, this one. Look, I, I mean, I love the look of it. I love the gameplay in terms of the follow mechanic in a deck builder is quite unique. Um, I agree. I think it does go a little bit long, and I think for that reason particularly because the cats seem very chaotic. Um, I don't know if I'd bother with the cats. I quite like the dogs. I think maybe it plays well just as the base game and you yeah. don't really need that variety unless you've played the hell out of it. I think because you've already got six suits in the base mm. game, there's already a lot of variety and a lot of following abilities. That so was it, one of my thoughts yeah. is if this game had four suits, maybe five, I think that maybe there's one... Maybe it's squirt guns. I think there's one too many suits. I don't know whether they've done that deliberately to reduce 
the following potential. But then again, you've got a wild suit. Yeah. So I think it could do with one less suit. But look, I enjoyed it. I didn't win. Trent won. Um, I came a close second because those bloody dogs. But um, I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, look, I, I would choose to play the base game a couple of times mm. before adding in an expansion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Garth. We're done. We are done. Woo-hoo. We've got through two great games. There's lots there for everyone. Don't forget about the board game cruise. Check out information on Facebook or on the website, which we mentioned. Better go back to the start of the episode and listen to it again if you don't know what it is because I've forgotten it. Um, but Garth, thank you so much for thank you. allowing me to come to our studio at your home. <laughs> um, for those of you listening on Edge Radio, I hope you're continuing to enjoy the show. We love being on Edge Radio. We do. Uh, being part of the local community here in Hobart. For all of those of you that are listening anywhere in the universe, perhaps being beamed out over a Voyager probe or something, you should also enjoy the game. Absolutely. And if you want to reach out, we are on at DiceMenCometh on all of the socials. Mm-hmm. Email address is DiceMenCometh at gmail.com. Ask us a question. Tell us we're good or bad. Show us a picture. Do whatever. We're always happy to chat with everyone because this hobby is amazing and the people in it are too. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll talk to you next time on episode 355. Garth, oh my goodness. We've been the Diceman Cometh. We'll see you again shortly. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.